0: Hello and welcome to the New Pathways Labs. My name is J.V. Hampton-Van Sant, and I'm here just to invite you to listen to this um, podcast version of the New Pathways Labs. Now, right now we're about to play the audio from the lab entitled How to be Actively Anti-Racist. This one had a lot of attendance, however, people have been wanting to get their hands on the audio version, so we decided to make that available to y'all. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me at jv at multiculturalbridge.org, um, or you can contact us just sort of generally at admin support at multiculturalbridge.org. We hope you enjoy this audio, and let us know what you think. Um I just wanted to pop in here and sort of let you guys know that we had a little bit of a mishap when it came to recording some of this audio. Um there's a small section of audio that we lost um wherein Andre Henry uh mentions some very vital statistics and also uh mentions a few books however fortunately um he also mentioned those books during his um during his new pathways talks so you can check them out i will include a link in the show notes for you to be able to check those and i strongly hope that you do and uh be well and stay safe out there
1: feel and Everyone, thank you for letting me be a full, full human being at the moment and ask that question. I appreciate that. Um, the thing that I'm really feeling right now, um, I'm remembering uh, the moment that I was really activated into racial justice work as a daily thing, you know. Um, even as a black man growing up in America and uh, experiencing, you know, experiencing racism. I still did not feel like it was something that I needed to speak up about every single day or give my attention to every single day, until I watched Philando Castile die on Facebook Live in 2016. And I remember what it felt like in the wake of his death to just wish that people would treat it the same way that we treat that we eventually began treating this pandemic. And that was I wished that that our, our normal routines of life would just stop so that we could give our full attention to the ways that white supremacy continues to inform the way that our society functions. I remember look I remember feeling silly about that wish cuz I'm like that'll never happen, you know, but but how much progress we could make if we would all just stop and take inventory of what we're doing and how we're doing it and how it's affecting people. Um And right now in this moment when people are also having these kinds of political awakenings, these watershed moments where they feel like enough is enough, I have to figure out uh, how I can do my part in making this world or making this society one in which these types of deaths are not normal. I'm thinking of the three commitments that I made to myself and I'm wondering if people would make those commitments. Or if those commitments would resonate with others. And the commitments that I made to myself the day that I watched Philando Castile die, the first one was I would no longer let the news cycle determine when I talked about racism. Uh, because when these things happen, there's a spike in interest and activity. And then uh, we lose energy, we burn out, uh, we are, we get distracted by other by other news that is, you know, also important. But we move on with our lives and the news cycle moves on. And then we behave as though what happened to George Floyd is not happening every day. So I I said, no longer am I going to let the news cycle determine when I talk and think about this. Um, I'm going to I'm going to be intentional about this um, every day. Uh, The second commitment that I made was I'm going to learn everything that I can about how systemic racism works and so i began reading um voraciously about uh racial injustice systemic racism uh the history of racism you know and i would suggest that if if that if that commitment resonates with you that that you narrow it down <laughs> to to some area. How does how does systemic race? How does racism influence the criminal justice system? How does it influence education? Education. How does it influence influence housing, employment, or whatever? Uh, because I wanted to I wanted to memorize uh, this information, and so that I had it. I, I, I tend to use the phrase to have it on ice. I want it, I want it to be ready. I want for it to be cold. I want for it to be ready to drink because when someone talks to me about police brutality, I, I, I wanted to be able to say that on any-
0: This is the part here where our audio cut out just a little bit. I'm sorry about that. However, again, I wanted to remind you to go to our website. Um, if you go to our website, we also have notes from this session, which I believe also captured the specific, um, the specifics of what was discussed.
1: Everyone in America needs to be reading that book right now. Uh, white people keep asking me, what do we need to do? Uh, the first thing you need to do is read that book and start a book club with your friends so that you can read that book. Paul Butler uh, has suggestions on how to deal with police brutality, um, how how to respond to it meaningfully, start a book club, read through it on the local level, then start figuring out which of these solutions seem like they, you can implement them. Or if you have something else, then fine, start with that. The third commitment that I made to myself, was that i'm going to invest my body my actual body into the fight for black freedom in this country and that has looked many different ways and that's partly why um i had to talk to to gwendolyn earlier and say i i have to be there with my community today if they're going to be in the streets i got to be in the streets because i pr- i promised that i would invest my body into this fight um, and that has looked many different ways I think that this conversation right now that we're having about racial injustice is wonderful. I think that it's, I'm I'm so glad that it's happening all over the world, but I'm also concerned that there are certain ways that we are um, engaging this, that is setting us on a trajectory to go through this uh, again in another few years. And a part of that is um, that we are, we need to add a level of strategy to our resistance that is not existent right now. It is so great that people are going out into the street and expressing their displeasure and doing the same online. However, uh, there is a craft to protest that is unknown to many of us in America. And a part of that craft is identifying strategic targets for the social issue that you are, uh, that you are meaning to confront and putting pressure on that target. If I, if I were doing a class right now, I would draw a something like the Parthenon or a temple. Imagine a, a, a structure with huge columns with a very heavy roof. Each one of those columns represents an institution that is upholding that roof. The roof is symbolic of police brutality or mass incarceration or systemic racism, whatever the problem is, and the columns uh, yeah the roof is the problem and the columns represent the institutions that support it without the help of those institutions that roof could not stand the idea is that all of us together are participating in many different institutions whether we work in media or education or uh or we maybe we're part of law enforcement or whatever and it's through our participation that these institutions are able to uphold that roof And if we begin to pull our consent out of those institutions, then that roof begins to fall. We have to begin to think like that about police violence in our neighborhoods and in our communities. We have to start thinking of, well, um, if we really want for it to change, we have to identify those institutions that uphold it and begin to uh, remove our consent from that situation. We also have to come up with some alternatives. When I talk about police reform or police abolition uh, with people, the first thing that people say is, well, what else are we going to do? Uh, if, we don't have, if we don't have police, how will we be safe? My first response is, the, look at the videos. The way that America is doing policing right now is not keeping us safe. <laughs> the way that America is doing policing right now is that police go into neighborhoods and kill people. They brutalize people. They put people in chokeholds, all that kind of thing. I'm not saying that police officers as people are bad, but the institution that we have is not doing what we say that it does. I asked someone the other day who lives in a mostly white, pretty affluent neighborhood. You say that the police are are keeping you safe. Is there a bunch of crime in your neighborhood? They said, no. I said, well, how many times do you get an email in the morning saying that while you were sleeping, the police caught an evil genius with a doomsday device that was gonna blow up your neighborhood? Never, right? So what is it with this mythology <laughs> that that the police are playing Batman in your neighborhood and taking out vigilantes that would otherwise take out the whole neighborhood? It's, it's an illusion. Um, so anyway, all that to say that the reason why we have this kind of problem is partly because we're overly dependent on armed agents of the state to come and solve problems that we could actually solve as neighbors. Um, and as long as the police have a monopoly on the services that they provide to the neighborhood, we're not going to be able to have significant police reform or whatever it is that you want to accomplish because you cannot resist a system that you are entirely dependent upon. That puts all of the power in that system. And that means that the system, that, that system, whatever it is, gets to say, this is the way that we perform our duties and you either take it or leave it. So that's what I think um, as far as moving forward that we have to start thinking strategically we have to start thinking about power and how we can use our people power to disrupt or to uh, yeah to manage the way that 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 institutions and leaders in our neighborhoods or in our country in our society the way that they use their power and if we don't do those things then we're going to be marching again for another black person whose life has been reduced to a hashtag. I figured that my time was up, that's why I stopped.
2: I I was just waiting for you to keep going, (laughs) Andrea. Let that that sit for a moment. Um, Thank you. Thank, thank you for showing up human. Thank you for your honesty. For those of you who can't see me, this is Ashante Renee. I'm the co-moderator on today's uh, panel or engagement. Um, so many things I wanna ask and talk to you about, but I also wanna respect your time and the fact that you need to be in the community. So I will hold it to three questions, hopefully. Um, I had two others when you spoke about the pillars in the roof, right? And how we have to remove our consent from those pillars, can you speak to us what removing consent actually looks like now? Because he was like, I'm going to remove consent, or I'm going to stop. What what does that tangibly look like for people yeah. in real time?
1: Yes, uh, the key to social change is organization.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That and it, the I mean, organization is a key to all kinds of things, right? People say, oh, I want to lose weight. Okay, do you have a plan? You know, so um or or whatever it might be i, I want to learn a new language do you have a plan you know have you organized yourself so the same thing in in, in this way so i want to give some examples right i saw a headline the other day about uh some bus drivers in minneapolis that refused to take protesters to jail that's organized that's an organized way of removing consent right because the police in that particular neighborhood Uh, They want to punish people for using their First Amendment rights and the only way that they're going to be able to accomplish that is with the cooperation of those bus drivers, but when those bus drivers that's an institution right it's a it's a business when those bus drivers say we're not going to do that. That's a removal of consent. We have to figure out what that looks like in our various uh, places uh, of work our our various places of influence. And um, and to think about what are the resources that we have. So um, one more thing, I know I I always get really detailed with answering these questions, but Gene Sharp is a name to know about this concept. Gene Sharp, uh, and he identifies several different types of political power. I have made a little acronym out of out of these um, out of these, and it's ahimsa, which is. Gandhi's—that's—that's uh, that's the root of Gandhi's nonviolence, ahimsa—and so that's A for authority, H for human resources, I for intangible factors like you know ideology, all that kind of stuff. M for material resources, S for skills and knowledge, and another S for um sanctions. The A—I just put the other A on it so I can remember. That last A doesn't stand for anything.
2: It means aha. Uh-huh.
1: and so when you're thinking about the institutions that you are a part of you need to think about which of those political powers are you lending to that social uh injustice or whatever and then once you know which which of those powers you are giving up and in what way you've got to identify that for yourself in what way you can say okay well these are the ones that we need to withdraw and this is how we do it
2: thank you for that um, and someone has put in the chat what AHIMSA stands for, and if we miss any of them, we will share those with you all later. I know y'all are scribbling feverishly to try to get it all written down. I promise we'll send it to you so you don't have to go back and figure out what you tried to write. Um, so I have another question for you, and this, this is an imagination question. As you know, when there is trauma and grief and loss, it suspends the ability to imagine. Oftentimes when yeah. people ask, we, as brown and black people, we often focus on trying to get to liberation, but if you ask yeah. us what does freedom look like, we can't answer it. Cause we're so busy trying to get too free yes and so my question to you is yes. what lives in our imaginations and our fears and in our hope if these uprisings and protests are successful
1: oh what like um so what's on the other side of it yes Whew. all mm-hmm. right we don't have much time for this um I want to ask this same I'm going to be asking this same question as Juneteenth approaches to other black people, you know, what does it look like for us to really be free. You know, and the way that I, the way that I think best to sum this up is that. America has to give up its addiction or its dependence on violence as a way of organizing our society right and so that means that. When that means that we are we are investing in health care. We're investing in education. We're investing in uh, youth programs. We're in we are we are investing in those things that will uh, eliminate poverty. <laughs> um, because we know that what we call crime often comes from people being in desperate situations um, and, and being under resourced and so we live in, I think on the other side of this, if we were successful, we would live in a society where we stop uh, where we stop organizing things by the lie of scarcity and realize that we have an abundance of resources. We actually have enough for everyone. And if we were to give to people, uh, then we would eliminate some of the problems that we claim that violence solves in our country.
2: Mm, absolutely. I love that phrase. America has to give up our addiction to violence.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so with that being said, what are the consequences for all Americans? Because I do think the misconception is that if we don't do this well, or these protests and uprisings aren't successful, it's just going to hurt brown and black people. And so can mm-hmm. you speak what the consequences are to all Americans, to all people who have come to America, um, yeah. if it isn't successful?
1: well i think the thing that um, many people are not realizing is that the that the the politics of of white supremacy actually have our put our species at risk and it's not i don't mean that metaphorically i don't mean that i mean that quite literally i mean the notion that Non-white people are are not as valuable as white people. Is the same logic that uh, that pushes indigenous people off their land and takes it and extracts its resources, you know. Um, and I keep saying that the politics of white supremacy is what made America so vulnerable to COVID. You know the the leadership that we have right now. Donald Trump was elected because some people were afraid of the browning of America. Donald Trump was elected because some people were afraid that white people are going to disappear. And so they are they are fighting tooth and nail for white minority rule in this country. Uh, Look at Georgia and their governor, Brian Kemp, who used voter suppression in order to get elected. He played with the numbers. And we know that voter suppression is a that is a that is a Jim Crow practice, you know? And so, you know, these COVID doesn't care <laughs> what color your skin is. You know, there's not gonna be a partition <laughs> that keeps that keeps white people from catching the virus. We use the politics and the technology of white supremacy to get us here. And now the whole country is suffering. And that's just one example of what's going to continue to happen the next the I think the net the next crisis that I think of is climate disaster, you know, and it's running along the same rails it's running along the same tracks you know and so if we don't figure this out, we are quite literally going to perish as a species
4: Thank you
2: I know you have to. I'm just, I'm going to take a pause for a moment because that needs to sink in. Mm-hmm. That needs to sink in. Our entire species is at risk of being extinct because of light supremacy.
1: The things we think that we will do that will only harm a few will be the undoing of us all. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely. I um. I know you have to get to your your uh, friends' rally. I know you have to support your people in multiple ways. I think just that in of itself speaks to what often brown and black people are doing right now. Speaking at this event, supporting someone here, being care, you know, being a caregiver in this space, giving a disruptor in this space. And so, as you lay your head down tonight, I do hope you have peace. I do hope there is rest because you are extending and expanding beyond in ways that we just are right now. And so as you get ready to part, because we do want to honor that you have plenty of time to do that and you're in the headspace to do so, what would you like for us to know as you are heading to this Black Lives Matter rally? What would you like for us to be aware of and mindful of?
1: I would like people to know that it does not have to be this way. Because we have the power to do exactly what we were just talking about. And that is, we can use our collective power to withdraw consent from these institutions and from these structures that continue to yield this inequity and this injustice. It's because we feel helpless often and we can't imagine what, we can't imagine what's on the other side of this that we don't move. But if we do, then there's hope it's always connected to action. I always tell people there's been a study on nonviolent struggle and it was and it found that no regime could withstand the sustained resistance of just three and a half percent of the population. La has more than three and a half percent of the population. New York has more than three and a half percent of the population. Atlanta has more than three and a half percent of the population. I'm saying like that one city could change the course of American life. How much more then, if there are several people around the country that are all fighting in their various ways, there is hope, but it, but we have to act. And I, I need people to know that and I need people to take that seriously. And the thing uh, I wanna add for white people is that in nonviolent struggle in these studies, you see that one of the key things for a victory is when the army defects, when the people with the guns decide that they're going to side with the people without the guns, the nonviolent protesters, oh, it's over then, all the pillars are coming down now. Well, when we talk about white supremacy and we talk about race, um, that's, that's what it would be like if white people really took this seriously and they started organizing a mass movement focused on other white people to liberate white people from white supremacy. It would be the equivalent of the armed forces joining the nonviolent forces. Not white people coming in as white saviors to you know come alongside black people, but white people taking it upon themselves to say we are struggling with this thing. We are we and our people, you know, our our cousins, our our sons, our daughters, our nephews, our moms, our dads, our grandparents, whomever. If they were to take that seriously and say, "Hey, everyone is at risk because of this. You got to get off that stuff, man. You got to get off, get off the white supremacy pipe."
2: Mm off the white supremacy pipe and with that we wish you uh safe travels to you and all all of your colleagues comrades people and community with you um for tonight's rally and for the rallies to come thank you for your heart thank you for your voice thank you for your wisdom to
1: be thank you so much thank you so much good to meet you good to meet you all good to see you
2: you, all all 100
1: of you Y'all have a wonderful day. I'm so sorry that I can't stay the whole time. Not
2: apologize for doing the work. We thank you. See you all. Have a wonderful rest of the day. I will now turn it back over to Gwendolyn to do a quick shift in our our time together and then we'll keep it rolling.
5: All right, thank you Ashanti. Thank you for that powerful conversation um, that's centering us all for the rest of the evening. Um, At this point, um, we're going to get into some introductions. I do know if some of you have friends that signed up that we we increased, we paid our bill for Zoom, but it did not switch this meeting to a large meeting. So if you know anyone that's having trouble, we are streaming on Facebook Live. It's on the Bridge page, it's on my page, so everybody can participate and view it. So if you know anyone, just text them and let them know. So moving into the next part, I wanted to have our board member, um, AJ Enchil, um, say hello and greet everyone And any words that you want to share, AJ, about your experience of racial justice with Bridge and or um, responding to Andre and this powerful conversation we kicked off with.
6: Thank you, Gwendolyn. Um, Thank you everyone for joining this evening. I think Andre um, couldn't have said it better and you touched on a lot of points that I think are somewhat relevant to the story I want to share with you all, but also to our community. Um, so here goes. And at Tufts, um, I don't, well, I should probably start by saying, first of all, I'm born and raised here in the Berkshires, so this is my hometown community. But I want to fast forward a little bit to my experience at Tufts, where I was a Race in America facilitator, um, and that was more or less a TA position, and uh we we looked at race as a social construction and and looked at it within the lens of the american but also the international context and i was hoping to continue my education my educational competency uh moving back to the berkshires because that was my goal um but being that this is a predominantly white community i didn't think that there was going to be an organization uh to take part in this work and uh not only um, to continue my racial justice work, but also to support my livelihood. And that was until I met Gwendolyn and I was introduced to Multicultural Bridge, but also, um, the amazing work that she's a part of. So as many of you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm working with State Senator Adam Hines, but, um, previously I was an executive assistant and, uh, former then a volunteer as well as, um, now a co-chair with Ari Cameron. But I want to talk a little bit about um, what it means to be here today. Um, And I want to talk about COVID-19 to uh, a little extent. And that's just to say that, um, look, COVID-19 happened. The world's economy halted, right? And, And schools closed and school shootings also halted. Right. But in this time, the war against black lives has not ceased. Right. And that 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 should be a tell of sorts to all the folks who are here and in, in this meeting looking to to organize and be a part of a cultural movement. And I want to go back to the George Floyd incident and and not stay on the conversation of the officer putting his knee down. And, and, and expitiating george floyd, but let's let's rewind a little bit a little bit back to uh, the the incident at the store right like that that was a biased incident with an uh, in accusation of counterfeit money, and how that has happened to me, how that has happened to others and it's that bi- those biases carry away and then they're leveraged by uh, law officers who are supposed to serve and protect the public, but have failed to do that in, in a number of instances and if we look at amy cooper i don 't know how many of you are familiar with that situation that is the same um, that is the same account where someone has their racially charged biases and 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 then asks for uh, police officers to come in and sick them on black lives like like dogs or let 's talk about Uh, Ahmaud Arbery and and how a father and a son went hunting for black lives right and so what does that mean and 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 what is Bridge doing here in our community to impact and and make a difference and that is culturally cultural competency training that's why this education matters because there are there are real outcomes um, to these racially charged um, motivations. And so I want you all to keep that in mind when you're thinking about what it is that you can do, but also keep in mind the organizations and institutions that you belong to. And it doesn't matter if you're an insurance, or healthcare, or a teacher, or or a construction worker, you need to bring this work and anti-racist work into your day-to-day job if you, if you want to see systematic change. So you may think that what you do on a day-to-day basis is not relevant to social, social and racial justice work, but that is the ongoing, complicit nature of white supremacy, thinking that, oh, your institution actually isn't a part of this much larger system. right? And if we don't pay attention to that, that would be a large oversight. So I, I, won't, I won't leave that conver- our conversation without mentioning that. But I'll, I'll pivot back to Bridge, and I'll say that right now is open invitation. If you're looking to volunteer and become a part of this organization and to see what we're about, then I, I encourage you and I urge you to step up and reach out to Ari, reach out to Gwendolyn, reach out to our board as well as the staff and begin to form your own lifelong relationship with this organization. Because every day that I'm a part of this organization, do I know that I'm making a difference? And you all can too. So let's keep each other to the
5: highest standard. Thank you. Thank you, AJ. Thank you. Um, So we're gonna move now to uh, Tim and Stephanie, who um, are staff. Uh, Stephanie's our community engagement. Um, She does many things. She's our community engagement coordinator. She's our facilitator, educator. Um, a major part of Bridge for the last eight to nine years. Um, she and Tim will join her as a volunteer and donor and activist with Towards Racial Justice. They will talk to you about what it, where it is that you landed where we decided to host this last New Pathways Lab for just five minutes, so.
7: and it's okay. All right, thank you, Gwendolyn. Thank you. Hello, good evening, everyone. I would like to start off with, if you were looking for something to do, Bridge and the Race Task Force in the Berkshires. In 2010, Bridge identified the need to stay vigilant and in active responses to racial disparities and incidences that were occurring, this overt racism in the county. And so they made this mission and formed this Multicultural Race Task Force to present a community dialogue on race. This race task force includes the Department of Justice and many leaders in the community and concerned citizens. These individuals come together the first Monday of the month. Before COVID-19, we met in Pittsfield at the Ralph Friel Center, and now we meet in a digital platform. Community leaders convene to give reports, educate around policies and systems that are specific to their departments. That's the police department, the district attorney's department, court systems, education and not-for-profits, banking, etc. Each entity gives a report. There's a dialogue around the findings to affect the change and for creating a safe, inclusive community. And one of the campaigns that came out of that was Not in Our County. And now Tim will tell you about another Um, thing that we have, TRJ South, toward racial justice.
8: Thank you, Stephanie. Um, So, sort of a sister meeting to the Race Task Force um, is this TRJ South meeting, uh, which started in 2016 um, after the um, heightened awareness of police brutality uh, through social media and parallel to that, the formation of Black Lives Matter. Uh, and so Bridge was asked by Southern Berkshire clergy um, to hold forums on race. And um, this is the TRJ South meeting, that's where just came out of. Um, so it's a, a subtask um, force committed to uh, cultural humil- humility, self-education, accountability and action uh, in support of the Towards Racial Justice and Equity campaign. Um, in addition to the, the campaign Stephanie talked about, um, some other work that um, the Towards Racial Justice holds is um, the trust policy in Great Barrington. Um, the not County Pledge, Stephanie mentioned. Um, W.E. Du Bois was um, born and raised in Great Barrington. So the promotion of, and legacy is him and um, his work. Um, and this is really a space um, where we can get active, uh, speak up and engage with our values and our hearts um, network with other organizers, uh, be color brave and be mindful of, um, where we can contribute and, and mindful of where we extract, um, as part of the TRJ campaigns, there's caucus work, um, which are intersectional groups of TRJ. Um, Stephanie, did you want to introduce those?
7: Yes. And a specific um, work that we do is caucus work. And these are um, committees and groups that split up by race and gender. They share common identities to heal, to hold, pushing and probing around harm that comes up when we're doing the work. We speak freely without without over explaining because of our common identity. We know about it and we know someone who has experienced the harm. And would you like to talk about the men's caucus, Tim?
8: Yeah, um there's um also um gender-based caucuses, so men's caucus and uh the women and non-binary caucus um for racial justice and um also white caucus and um yeah these just explore where these identities intersect um with race and um yeah um and yeah the other only other thing I'd add is um to participate in the caucus work, um, attendance in one of the Race Task Force meetings or the Towards Racial Justice South meeting uh, is required. Um, and think- and then another caucus is the
7: POC caucus, the people of color. In that caucus, there's mm-hmm. healing, restoration, release from trauma throughout the day or the week, um, where there's a free flow of feelings and not having to over um, explain. There's nourishment, there's joy, there's tears, there's sharing. And um, it's a wonderful space to be in in that um, people of color can be freed up a bit and um, be themselves, their true authentic selves. So that work is done um, every other month. Thank you for listening.
8: Thank you, Stephanie.
5: Are you complete? <laughs> I
4: am complete.
5: I am complete. All right. Thank you. Thank you for- I'm complete. Thank you. We just wanted you to know a little bit about Bridge and the work that we do. We, as AJ said, we do cultural competence work in inside organizations, and we do racial justice work in our community. And that racial justice work informs our cultural competence training, so we're not your usual diversity, cultural competence, equity, inclusion training, because we center the conversation about race. We center the conversation about poverty and the intersection there. So we hope that many of you that are here or on Facebook Live join us, not just now where it's a heightened emotional moment, but for the practice. These people that are talking to you now have made this a life practice. They're involved in work multiple times during a week, not just when there's a flash of media coverage. Um, so we want you to understand that that's the invitation. Um, moving into the next part. Um, this isn't, pl- if you've been in other labs, everyone introduced themselves. We thought it'd be better to introduce you to sort of this context. Um, I'm gonna just talk very briefly about the new pathways labs. New pathways was um, bridges in my urgent COVID-19 response. I quickly, in the work that I was doing with influencers and the, the system leaders that Stephanie was talking about, That quickly became less of a priority as soon as people had to figure out how to preserve their institutions. And and I and do the work of their institutions. And it was I was hearing every you know hour, Gwendolyn, we love you, we love Bridges, work is important to us, but we can't do it right now. And so my um, all of my triggers were hit, I guess I don't know how else to say it, is that I understood that COVID-19 was going to make all that work that we've been doing the primary work that needed to get focused on. And I I was desperate, really, for a way to reset, refocus, disrupt that um, tendency for us to go back to structures, even if we know that they don't serve us, even if we know they don't reflect our values people go back to comfort, people go back to what's familiar. We've been socialized for centuries. So it's been passed down since we were in the womb that this is the best way for us when we all know that it's not the best way for us. So I was really, um, uh, I don't know what the word is, some of you got those phone calls and emails and texts about I, I need people to listen to me, I need people to hear me um, in a way that I don't normally speak if you know my personality. so. Some of you here on this call and other people listened, and I was able to get up enough funding to work very intensely with JV on creating um, new pathways and getting um, a group of people, that, which you've seen are local and across the um, United States to come join us in delivering all of the different aspects of what Bridges' work holds, whether it's um, resilience, racial justice, um, all the pieces that you've seen. and so. Um, I'm grateful for all those people that leaned in and said yes, because the idea was emerging as we were developing it. I'm grateful for Ashanti joining me and said, yes, let's do this. Um, we didn't know what was ahead of us and <laughs> when we when we hitched our laggings a few months ago. So um, uh, this is what we're doing. And this is not just to feel good and be, oh, my God, we got 100 plus people, a couple. Um, but we really wanted to... Um, co-create, co-create a new future, right? That we cannot go back. The normal was harmful, it was extractive, it was toxic. This was all before this last week, we already knew this. And so what we're here to do in these labs is to co-create a new future, plant those seeds for a new future. So I want you all to understand that's what this all is. There's the, the talks that you've seen, the labs you're participating in one, we have ideas of how they're gonna go and they emerge as we're in them. Um, That's why they're not as scripted as other uh, places at Bridge. And then after that, we're expecting people to make a commitment. Their action labs, we will on our Massachusetts Race Amity Day, which sounds, it's always felt dissonant, but right now extremely dissonant to have a day about Race Amity. So we will be having a a third impromptu action lab on that day, which is meant to be always the Sunday before Juneteenth. And in that day, we will look at all this stuff and figure out where it is that we can activate in our local networks and our networks that we've increased over the last um, two months. So, welcome to the new Pathways Lab number eight, I think, if not nine. Um, and uh, what else did I want to say about it? I think that's it. I think you, hopefully, you know where you've landed at this point. At this, I'm going to invite um, our other two Pathways presenters or panelists for this evening to speak for five minutes. Um, Danie, um if she's able to breathe, otherwise we can help her do timekeeping. Um Danie will let you know when it's four minutes by a chat. And if, um, if and when the four minutes is up, uh, you'll get the chat. If you go over the next minute, we'll start dancing as a group until the speaker sees us all. Um, and so we'll hear both from Dr. Christopher McDonald-Dennis of MCLA and then Ian Peronte cox And I wanna say Ian is gonna speak to us about organizing, but also it was her, Um, company that helped us produce the um, New Pathways talks that you've seen. So I want to thank you two for joining us and we're going to kick it off with Dr. Chris.
9: Thank you so much Gwendolyn Um, and thank you everyone for um, inviting me here. Um, I am thrilled to talk about this um, because I have been thinking about whiteness my whole life. it is a system that I have been aware of since I was six years old. Um, to tell you a little bit about myself, my father is white, my late father. Um, my mother is Latina, uh, specifically Caribbean Latina. And um, I grew up in Boston. And what, interestingly, my skin color was used as a resistance strategy with my family. Working class, grew up in the projects. Um, and I remember my black... And brown family members picking me up often when they would have to go and deal with institutions because their sense, and they were right, is that if they were with a little white boy, they would be treated very differently. And so for me, I've been thinking a lot about what does that mean and what does whiteness mean? So, um, and how do we decenter it? Because in many ways, um, My relationship to my skin color was very different than white folks that I knew, because for me, I was taught very clearly by my mother. This is just, this doesn't mean that you get to dominate. It doesn't mean it's like, I knew, oh, this is, this will allow you to be an infiltrator. You know, my friends growing up, that's always what they called me. They were like, oh, you're the infiltrator. You're the one that they didn't quite know. Like I remember when I was in college going to um, white fraternity parties and finding out like what they really thought about us and then going back and then my, well, I I don't want to say that I caused violence, but, you know, I will be honest that there were times that like people were like, let's deal with it. Um, but what I really want to talk about is... Um, Whiteness is a system and what it teaches white people because one of the things that I've realized that as I do this work is that white people are deeply dehumanized by whiteness. Um, James Baldwin talked about it beautifully and brilliantly. Um, one of the things that whiteness often teach is a system that Europeans took on because that was the bargain that they were given. It was whiteness was humanity. Whiteness was being a citizen. Um, But what it means is it means to be central to law policy and the American story, to belonging and inclusion, to access to the wealth and resources of the nation and the world, I would argue, Um, It would mean the protection of their lives, wealth, and feelings of security. We see this now when people are more concerned about property rather than dead Black folks. Um, Comfort. That's a huge thing that white folks often feel like that they are entitled to. And when they don't have comfort, um, there often will be a price that um, people of color will have to pay. Um, that the law aligns with their perspectives and interests. And that we, people of color, Black, Indigenous, and people of color, we are there to serve white people's interests. So, why is it that white people should want to decenter whiteness? We, as people of color, understand. You know, we, we understand why we need to decenter whiteness, but what I want to talk about is what white people get out of this. Um, Because the cost to white people is great. Um, It includes white fragility, diminished empathy toward others, self aggrandizement, domination, blame and punishment mentality. Those are the things that white people are often taught. Um, People often will hear the term Karen now, kind of that joke, like, oh, she's a Karen. It is that right to dominate. It is the right to say, my way is the right way and that I get to do whatever I want. Um, So I am at four minutes, so I will um, stop now, but thank you very much.
5: Oh, you have one more minute. Oh, okay.
9: Um, But really, the meaning of whiteness really is about dividing and dominating. And I think that, again, it is in white people's interests. And why that's important, because if you do it for us, you will stop. But if you do it for yourself, hopefully, you will say that it will help you reclaim your own humanity. Mm. That's an important piece to
5: include. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So Ian, you're up next. This Swen-
10: Hi everyone. Oh, um, thank you, and I'm humble that I'm being part of this amazingness that you um, allow the space for for us to discuss this. Um, I don't want to talk about, um, you know, like uh, I want to focus on organizing. Um, Let me give some introduction, uh, where I'm coming from and why social justice really mattered to me. So I grew up in Indonesia, uh, in a small town, Solo, Central Java, and then I moved to Jakarta when I was fifth grade. So during my growing up, we are under authoritarian regime, but I don't know what authoritarian regime was until I got into college and that experience pretty much shaping me to see when there's something wrong there's some injustice i i cannot name it before and then i got the opportunity to go to united states of america which at that time was sort of like you know everybody's dream especially if you come from third world country because u.s was the you know, the peak of opportunity, like uh, the best of education system and all that. So I got my master's degree and then I start learning all of this situation, how people got discriminated and not just, you know, like like some people who came here to migrate to the state always have that kind of like discrimination but i've never known the the amount of you know black people black folks how it, how how their discrimination and racism is like systemic i didn't know anything about that i just hear from my friends my best friend because when i'm you know like my first friends at, at my program from st louis and he was the first person told me about like, hey, if I walk with you, we need to be extra careful. I was like, why? Well, you see my skin color. Well, wh- what does that matter? Then that's like the first kind of like a real experience. And then I start reading like how this system like really repress Black community in every level. And how the stigma from criminalizing and education opportunity and stuff. And like, whoa, this is worse than I thought. And when all this you know incident happened from one to the next, from the Central Park one, and then George Floyd's the last one, like I I was like, how can we, you know, how can I do something? that's always my question. What can I do with what I have to to be part of a solution? And to be honest with you, like I have a lot of diaspora, Indonesian diaspora and some other friends, different like a group of friends that has a different uh, background. And every time I explain to them like, They're asking me, even like in Indonesia, why is it Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter? I'm like, oh my God, do I have to explain this to you? And yes, I have to explain it to them. And I take a stand, how many WhatsApp chat, how many like Facebook groups that like I have to give all of this information. I have open discussion on Facebook timeline because I cannot, let people to take over the narrative of like right now, what is in front of us. The idea is this authority status quo using their power to abuse other people that is less power. If people in authority really have the willpower to make change, to do it, They will do it. Unfortunately, power is always corrupt when they, you know, absolute power corrupt, absolutely. So I think that's why people like our voice need to be heard. And for, I call out to, you know, white community, white allies to like speak up, don't be bystander. If I want to make a commitment right now, what I want to do is like, I will not be a bystander. If somebody will stand for hours to talk about how it's okay for certain people to do certain things for other people, I will stand on hours, for hours, to speak up. Because that's the thing. Sometimes we, a lot of progressive activists or people that that think they're like, liberals they got tired oh I cannot talk to this to this person because it can it cannot get through their head yeah right but you can you have to keep talking you have to like you have to be louder than them the second one is like you have to run for office to the smallest levels you need to be able to talk about like making a policy for your uh, school, for your kids, because that's important. All this small level is very important and no one wants to run. I, I I keep on telling people, like, if you want to run, tell me, I'll help you because I cannot run here. I can run in Indonesia, but, you know, <laughs> but but what I'm saying is, like, regardless of what it is, like, we need to have that real energy. We cannot just... Say the things that sounded good, but you don't want to like class, okay, I think my time is up, but basically uh, that's what I was trying to say let's be involved, be active Thank you
2: thank you Ian. thank you Ian uh, let's give a hand to both Ian and Chris uh, for sharing their stories and their wisdom and their thoughts um, i'm still not going to get used to like the silent clapping that's, that's so. <laughs> <hard to laughs> me. It's Right. Snap, but even though I still can't yep, hear it, yep, it yep. I, see, I see everyone doing a thing. Um, so thank you both for that. Uh, as we've done in most labs is we have the, um, the presenter share. And as, as y'all saw with Andre, I come back and ask a few more probing questions mm-hmm. just to kind of give a little bit, a little deeper into what's happening. And I wanted to start with Chris. Now, this is Dr. Mm-hmm. Chris or Chris? Oh,
9: no, please. Just Chris. Just Chris. Okay.
2: I want to honor the, you know. Oh, thank you, Dr. thank Dr. you. I do, I do you?
9: appreciate that, yes. Okay.
2: Um, so, Chris, I, we're going to go there. We're going to go yeah. there. I I appreciate that you brought James Baldwin into the conversation, and you spoke about white fragility and the pieces of that. Can you say more about or expand on uh, when Baldwin was talking about the deception and the delusion of the good white or right. the other whites, um, right. which oftentimes people can fall into the trap of because they're like, well, I'm not being an out-and-out racist because I don't right. have the hat on, screaming the things. Right. And so how, right. and and the trap that that can happen even in this time with people on this chat, and like, well, I've checked off these boxes. So right. can you say a little bit more about like the good white and then whites othering each other to, oh. and, and we're still not getting done?
9: Yes, no, that is so, well, and it's interesting because one of the things is that as I've done my research in the whiteness, that's actually, A characteristic of whiteness. It's like the good and bad. It's this very dualistic thinking about saying good and bad. First of all, um, I would say that whiteness is a system. So unless you are actively working against it, you're allowing it to continue. So I always say it really doesn't matter. So, so one of the things that often happens so often with white folks is this intention. And I think Ashante, you, you make a great point around the good white and the, the not good white. It's like, oh, well, if I meant well, then that means that like, oh, I've done a good thing. But if you cause harm, so, and I think that, um, so I think that white people are often taught that it is about themselves as individuals so it is often about this kind of very dualistic, good, bad thinking. And I would argue, and I would tell the white people here that it really, first of all, um, it doesn't matter. You know, goodness and badness, you know, we're focusing on that. I would say that we are all good people born into systems of oppression. We're all people born into it. So, um For me, I truly believe that racism and white supremacy will only end when white people are as bothered as we are. They're anguished as we are. They are as confused and they realize. So that's where, for me, I try to talk about this is like, okay, I'm going to, Ashanti, you said you're going to go there. I'm going to say whiteness has made white people sociopaths. Literally, you are taught to devalue people. And it has happened since the enslavement of Africans. Let's think about what happened. People would sire children that they would then own. How does that not warp your mind? I'm just gonna put it there. For me, whiteness has warped minds. I want people's humanity back. So again, and uh, sorry, Ashante, if I kind of went off on it, but I just
2: so no, no apology necessary. It if was I'm, like if that, I'm hearing, that. if I'm hearing you correctly, what I'm hearing is the the delusion to be like I'm the good white because I didn't do these particular things. Exactly. Um, so I, I didn't do these things. So I'm still a good white, even if the impact, the intent, and the impact matched. I'm right. a good white because I didn't do these things. And so now I can opt out of some of the other things. And the point is like, no, to maintain, you have to actively be working against that, actively working against the, the tendency to fall back on what white. Exactly.
9: Because you're allowing racism to happen. Because literally, it's like, imagine, it's like you are walking. You're literally walking. Imagine you're like in a wind tunnel and you're walking against it. Whiteness and white supremacy will try to get you go to go backwards. And so if you're not doing anything and you're like, okay, you're still going with the flow. You're still enacting racist things.
2: Mm-hmm. As
9: you said, Ashante, it's you actually actively have to do it.
2: Mm-hmm. No, I, I appreciate yeah, that, yeah. and and let's just also name it and call it what it is. That is hard work. That is that is a lot of work to actively be pushing yeah, against yeah. this thing and actively being different, or in a word, constantly being on. Right. And that right. is what brown and black people are always feeling. We are constantly on. We are constantly having to code switch. We are constantly having to be aware. We are constantly having to be activated or, or ready yep. for all instances. And so we understand the exhaustion. Yes. So we're yep. asking you to join us in because it has been our experience. Um, thank thank, you. You. Yes, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. thank you, Ian, thank you so much for what you shared because I think you are the first person to bring in the global perspective of this and, and how globally, um, how supremacy has, has been, has seeped into the tapestry of just our global understanding and the argument and the fight around that. Um, I would love if you could speak a little bit more about your organizing strategy. Like what what are some examples of an organizing strategy? You started to touch on it a little bit and then you went global, so I appreciated that. But I wanted to get a little bit more into what you mean by those, the, the organize,
10: organizing strategies. Well, I think in the more of like a strategy, for my experience, it's always hard to organize within your intimate uh, uh, circle. Mm -hmm. So family is always my first to go. You have to educate your family. I know it's the hardest thing to do. And then you move a little bit larger within your peers and then school, community, and then larger, like to be involved in like, you know, town hall meeting and, and make sure the policy that's like being put out there is uh, fair for everyone. And also like using all the resource that everyone has, each, each of us has skill, has, has like things to offer. And I think that that part is need to be on the table. It's no longer about ego. Oh, this is my part, this is not my, like, it has to be like everybody come to the table and using all of the things that we have that good at and using that as a strategy. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you're good at art, let's make a great poster and then let's use the poster to support the issue that we're working on. And then, oh, if people can drive around, let's disseminate that in several different places. So everybody work within their uh, means but then it's larger groups. And I think also like to be able to, to work on a small cell groups with your you know, like immediate friends is always good because then your immediate friends will have other friends and then also school. I think working with youth is a key. During the student movement in Indonesia in 98, that's what we do. Each student organized themselves and then we come together on the street so but america has a very unique uh situation here uh i think in this aspect in this regard like at this moment we talk about like racism i from my perspective if you're white whether if you're ally or if you feel like this is something is not right you have to speak up louder louder because what because all of these people that's racist and stuff they might be not as much as many as you but because it's systemic and they get all the power so the more people speak up and be louder i think this 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 scale of loudness is important so that like we can you know rep, you know like suppress those you know those people that's actually you know not have that much power, but now they are in power. I think we just need to like keep on doing that with 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 what we do, with what we have, art, education, uh, like a real work, organizing like rallies and talking in your town hall. Make sure you uh, have participatory in every decision that you think it's like matter. Be mm-hmm. active, like right. every single person. Right. I think that's like the strategy that will work. Oh, com- agreed. Agreed. Um, I appreciate that you started
2: with and you, you did this motion. You said start with your family, you know, start there real simple and then get bigger. And I, I saw a few people are like, That's, no, that is not going to be the easy one. My, the, my family will actually be the most difficult. It's the smallest, but it's the most difficult. Um, sometimes it's ultimately easier to strategize and organize with people who haven't grown up with, you know, all the ins and outs of your personal history. So could you give some support, insight, thoughts, suggestions around, um, organizing with your family? you said before it's like, you have to keep going. You have to keep talking. Um, but if you could give a few thoughts around, we're just, we're trying to dismantle all excuses for not doing anything. Right. Um, so yeah. How do you
10: talk to the family? Uh, well, uh, I, I have a husband, he happened to be white and my kids, uh, pass as a white. So I always, uh, pass as their nanny or some helps, you know,
11: mm-hmm.
10: and then I, what I told him is that like, uh, he needs to be aware of his privilege. And I, I give him an example. Uh, if you driving, for example, you have to, you know, uh, follow the rules, because if you don't, then, but then he get the white privilege, but I don't, so I cannot, like, do what you do, and then, like, I just give him, like, a illustration of what, what works with him will not work for me, and then it's, like, oh, also, so it's, he can see the bias, like, you know, the, the discrimination and the biases that will occur, and, I I just give him like a lot of like uh, reading materials and 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 uh, you know things to watch and then for my parents because they live in Indonesia so it's not so much to to do but they're very progressive and open even though they're coming from like a poor background but uh, what I find it useful here in the state. I have uh, one, you know, local town who also like, let's say he is a, it worked with my husband because he's willing to do the work. And if it, if somebody is not willing to do the work, I think you need to have that endurance to keep on like telling them. You know, it's it's it's. I think it's that endurance that we all need because that's the exact thing happening in Indonesia. Like you have to Mm -hmm. uh, sort of like class with your family. I mean, if you can class with your family because you want to join a cult, why don't you class with your family when you're like standing up for something that is right? You know, like. Why can't you tell your parents, you know, like your parents, mom, dad this isn't right. Why can't you see it? You know, like, you know, like when, when some f- folks say to the, like, open up that they're like, uh, LGBTQ and stuff. And then the family, like, it, it takes time, of course, but like you keep on, you have to like, keep on doing right. it. Like, No, I'm, I'm with you with the
2: same fervor and veracity and fearlessness and fearlessness that you come to your family with whatever that thing is that you are gonna you know stake your claim on or when you know someone cuts you off or someone messes up your Starbucks order or whatever the thing is with that same level of righteous indignation like use that when you're engaging your family around I I have
10: yeah change yeah I have a personal like experience that I can share uh with relatives for example uh he was Uh, talking about uh, Mexican, how Mexican, we can pay Mexican less. And then because they're mostly illegal. And I say like, how do you know? So I just keep on like, I'm I'm still very respectful because he's older. So, but I I asked him like, why, why do you have to pay them less? If you can pay them $15 an hour, the same thing. If you pay white people that you hire. Oh, because they don't have to pay taxes. How do you know? You know, like I'm just trying to like engage him into the conversation until like he cannot like have an excuse of like why he has to pay less.
7: Mm-hmm.
10: And then he end up oh, oh, yeah, probably okay. Fine, let's let's pay fifteen dollars. Mm-hmm. But then yeah, it took me like three hours to talk him to pay this person. Right. But know, that's so the fair. endurance you're talking about, right? Like, and that and yeah,
2: that's a yeah. tactic. Just keep asking, Well, why? Yeah, well, yeah,
10: exactly. Why? Exactly. People have your me. soul. <laughs> like you keep on like, I don't understand you. Can mm-hmm. you explain to me why you do that? I think that's a, then, beautiful, a beautiful and so respectful way when you're
2: engaging family. Be like, well, I just need to understand why. Because ultimately that why question will get to the root of, well, I don't know. Great, now we can talk. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. I, I really, <laughs> really appreciate that. I, I want to close this, this piece out and actually ask you both. Um, just to share a little bit about what you learned from what Andre shared before. Usually we try to have you all talk with each other, but since he had to leave, um, I'm curious about what resonated with you all most uh, about what he shared and what he spoke to. And Ian, we'll go the other way. We'll start with you and then we'll close out with Chris.
10: Well, I agree with Andre that the work of, uh, to, to work on this issue of racism, it has to be done now. It cannot wait. Uh, I'm telling you this because of this my experience uh, living in authoritarian regime. You don't want America end up like a become like a country that militarized and like repress certain people and using black people as a scapegoat. So the racism has to end because America cannot not you know you know have This country collapse. I think that's what at stake. I think the work has to be done now. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you.
2: Chris?
9: Um, I would think first of all I just I loved I'm a sociologist so I loved everything that he said about like understanding systemic racism and understand the systems. Um, I think one of the things that he reminded me that I know but I forget sometimes so I appreciate it is take one thing on because it's easy for us to be like I'm going to tackle white supremacy that's huge but like what is it that you are going to tackle is it going to be education is so for me I am a prison abolitionist so for me it is about criminal justice like that is um, but I've been kind of you know like Oh, well, maybe I'll look over here and I've started to do that. And it's like, I'm 50 years old. I know I get tired. you know, it's like, I only have so much energy. So Mm -hmm. just appreciated. uh, And that resonated. And I hope that other people really heard that, like, what, what is it that really is going to get you going and be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Don't be like, oh, I feel guilty because I'm not out fighting every single thing. Because you can't, but you can make a difference of that one area that you choose.
2: What is what is your pillar, right? Go yes. deep, yep. not wide. Like, yep. everybody yes. to go deep. And so yep. you can get the roots of that. The right. only way to end the tree as people know, and for it to not grow again is to get at right. the root. So right. go deep into the root of that. Um, thank you both again for that. Is that was that was extremely helpful. Thank you for your honesty and just and and going there with me. I appreciate it. Um, if you've been in our labs before, you will know that now is the time for our breakthrough sessions, not our break out, but breakthrough sessions, because they are meant to create some tension and create some discomfort. You notice anything that breaks through its shell or its skin or. It's confined space. It actually has to move through something in order to become something better. And so we're actually going to be in um, these breakthrough sessions, and we're doing it a little bit different this time because the th- the way that we are talking about decentering whiteness, we're actually going to give you some pillars to discuss in your groups. And so you will have a different. And um, Gwendolyn's going to go into the details of or the the logistics and how keeping of what's happening in each session. But what you will do is you will get a topic. For example, someone is going to take on housing and homelessness. How are you going to de-center whiteness in that particular area and that particular topic? So what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? And and as you know, what we often um, care more deeply about is not the beautiful pontificated words of why we need to do it, but what's the actual how? When people leave here June 4th at 8.30 at night, what are some tangible hows? What are some tangible next steps that can happen? And so when you are in your group, you are going to be identifying what a few of those are. We're gonna have one person pick, pick one person to take notes because you will then be sharing back with the group and we'll be creating an entire document of what that looks like as you go deep into your pillar as we're keeping that language. Um, so I'm going to pause and turn it back over to Gwendolyn for anything I may have missed and updates on what needs to happen in the breakthrough session.
5: All right. Thank you very much, Ashanti. I really, we benefit a lot from your probing and taking us deeper into that, how and getting more specific in this work. I really appreciate this partnership and thank you for being here. Um, and we have one more round of that before the night's through, but, um, Uh, So Ashanti and I spoke today as we were reviewing the agenda and we chose some topic areas to go deep into this how with, and you have some other guiding, prompting questions in your chat that goes with you into the breakthrough rooms. So you're going to have to listen really carefully for your topic and your name, okay? Because this is the only way I know how to do this for this many people. So
2: So for those of you coming back live on fake, there we go. Just that (laughs) quick, everybody just pop back in. Everyone say hi to the Facebook people
9: say hello okay hey. i know i hit
2: a few people that hit it by accident too and hello. i was gonna come up with an idea okay. which is a fun so if everyone can mute <laughs> their mics um doing a quick check i want to make sure we have everyone back uh jv do we have everyone
0: um it's hard to tell uh, <laughs> it's hard Does to everybody tell
2: this is like the school bus. Do you see the person that sat next to you on the <laughs> bus? If you do,
8: that's school bus. do a
2: thumbs up for me.
8: School
0: bus, oh, school bus. wow. Um, okay. It looks like it. Looks like everyone is back. Welcome Great. back, all. Good okay. to see you. I'm going to
5: ask for a favor us. before you get started. Could you tell everybody that we're back up on Facebook Live so people can rejoin
2: us? We, we, I did. did. I did that. a whole welcome back Facebook. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We were chatting when everyone came back into the room. Ooh, gotcha. Thank you. Um, we may have lost a few people, but everyone who was in a group chat or in, in a breakthrough session has now come back. Yeah. So we are going to start with group one. Not by level of importance, just by the first group on the list. <laughs> um, not that one topic is more important or pressing than others. Put that out there. So what was group one, Gwendolyn?
5: Group one was the first policing and safety group. It has Alexandra, Jamie, Katie, Liz, Robin, Sarah, and Tim.
2: OK. So in this talk back, um, you're going to have about a minute and a half, um, Donya, a little bit of grace, to share what your how is. So you can talk a little bit about what you all realized, things that came up, but the biggest piece, the most salient piece of this is what is the how? what are we going to do? What is the suggestion, right? Both for us here and for those of us that are online on Facebook Live. So group one, who is the designated person to speak?
4: Please share your your group's information. Hi, I'm Alex Hettinger, and I volunteered to share our group's um, notes. Um, I'd say one of the biggest things that we talked about was shifting um, the responsibility for all conflict from the police to community groups and having easy access to conflict resolution and networks of different ways to respond so for instance um, if there are mental health issues that is not always something that police need to respond to so in emergencies um, that there are other resources to solve problems Um, one of the um, members of our group also said that, you know, she said, you know, personally, I can make a commitment to not calling the police and I can think about the consequences if I do um, sort of jump right to that extreme level of, um, of, you know, dealing with a problem. Um, Some of the other notes that we had, um, we could look at hiring practices so that staff reflects the community. Um, We talked about um, the power that the uniform um, has and um, spending more time in dialogue with the community. We talked about um, uh, uh, um, increasing our tolerance for discomfort. Um, and recognizing that um, behaviors or um, just things that we don't personally like, um, that those are not necessarily things that are illegal or things that need to have the police called on. Hmm.
2: Oh, you just went mute again. Alexandra?
5: You're muted, honey.
2: You're muted. And I I can't unmute her, Alexandra. Uh,
5: there you are! Oops, we heard we the growl. Go. We heard the growl. <laughs> there you go.
4: Are we back? Am I back? You're back. Um, and we also talked about um, needing to relook at the police academy and the um, sort of historical boot camp approach needs to be changed. Okay. All right, thank you for that. So looking, going
2: through your list, it seems like there are a few things that can happen in real time because we're also like, what can people do right now and commit to? What can everyone commit to right now? And some of those things are two of the ones that really pop out to me are, they're kind of, they're married, not calling the police, uh, specifically not calling the police when you don't like something or something is uncomfortable to you or something doesn't make sense to you or something is not familiar to you. Um, And when there is the thought to do so, remember Amy Cooper um, and what that means and what that can look like for other people. Turn to curiosity and maybe ask or just mind your business and go do something else, right? Those are things we can do in real time. From, to Andre's point around pulling down pillars, shifting conflict to community groups, um, the staff, police staff are uh, reflecting the community um uh connecting to the police academy and all that sounds like defunding certain components of the the police budget that then goes into alternatives that are going to be safer for the communities and so you have something you can be doing immediately tonight something from a pillar place you can be doing from an organizing perspective going forward so thank you group one policing group i appreciate you thanks for your for your contribution um group two all right, so I'm
5: going to offer this. You can snap, you can do thumbs up, you can clap, you can echo and amplify what's said in the chat. So That's how you can cooperate with us here. And anybody that wants to share on Facebook Live, anything that's salient, please amplify and type it into your comment box and tell your friends this is an important piece. So we're in um, pol- the next one, Poli- is that yes. the next one? Home, Housing and Homelessness. This is Asa, Hannah, Hannah, Jessica, Maddie, Phoebe, Rachel, Shelley, and Tessa.
7: Hello.
0: Um, so we took the notes for group two, um, and the overarching
1: ideas that that really came out, or our concepts that we were looking at, um, were the ideas of inherited wealth and in, in the system, and how that is used to, to build wealth over time and help to um, send people to school for further education and access to education, um, and how to find safety nets for for people that are homeless to challenge our conceptions of homelessness and what is homelessness?
12: Um, And we had quite a few action items. Um, A few were supporting local organizations that we know that are doing the groundwork. Um, One is Construct, which is based in Great Barrington and the other, um, sorry, oh, the community land land support, thank you. Uh, Community Land Support Trusts, which are two organizations locally that are actually initiating these concepts that we were talking about, and that are both in dire need of support money due to COVID that's happening. So, um, I think ASA just just sharing the links mm-hmm. in chat, which is great. Um, the second thing we talked about was making sure that you're an advocate in any town planning board meeting, town meeting that you go to, even if it's it's. Com- there are no people of color in the meeting to make sure that you are um, being an ally for those that aren't there and speaking up and making sure that they're, that people's voices are heard even if they're not in the room, because I think a lot of decisions we know are made um, behind the scenes. And so if you can show up to your town meeting or your planning board meeting or your water and sewer board meeting and, and actually be a voice for those who aren't there, that's really, really important. Um, and then we also talked about really, Actually, this is a great point, looking in, inward also and making sure that you are looking at how your, personally, your perception of whiteness and housing access and really look to see what kind of pre-existing con, uh, perceptions that you hold towards these issues and educating yourself on that so that you are able to be a better ally um, in the community. Um, oh, and then um, last but not least, mm-hmm. um, looking at banking loans and mortgage accessibility and thinking about how that impacts people of color, and how being a white person, you innate it often are innately more comfortable going in and asking questions. And so, contacting your banks specifically and asking them how they're making themselves more accessible to people of color, especially after August, which is when I was um, made aware that the rent um, and eviction um, requirements are going to be lifted. So. Uh, in like between now and august asking your bank what are you going to do in august like are you still going to be helping people um yeah that was what we had thank you i missed one piece you said the pre-existing
2: something like going inward the pre-existing
12: yeah and, and asking yourself you know we were talking a little bit about like oh um like affordable housing and how we need to increase that and then you know we started talking about, well, if you don't, affordable housing is amazing, but maybe the bigger question is um, home ownership because home ownership builds wealth, builds inherited wealth. So even asking yourself questions, like, why are you thinking the way you're thinking? Is it because of, because of institutionalized racism and just. Where are the blind spots? Got it. Got it. Thank you.
2: Thank you for this. Um, This is a really good list. I would add to, And the two things I would add are both around using your privilege and and using how people identify with whiteness as a way to be an accomplice and a co-conspirator, right? And so the first one being, I love the idea of advocating on boards, especially if there are no people of color, taking that a step further and inviting someone of color to that meeting. And then a step further than that is and giving that person your seat if only one person can be in that place. You removing yourself from that and giving a person of color your seat who really needs to be in the room, right? And then from the banking and loans, I love the question, you know, um, are y'all, are you making these things accessible to people of color? And if the answer is no, why are you still banking there? So then does that mean you are now removing your assets and your your, everything that you have from that bank to prove I will not bank somewhere that will not support people of color and enough people do that. I'm, I'm pretty sure they'll start being some classes and conversations quite quickly. Um, so thank you for that list, adding those few, you know, you do this step and then there's this one and there's this one and there's this one as we continue to dismantle white supremacy and, and de-center whiteness. Thank you, group two. Group three. Group three,
5: healthcare access. AJ, Amanda, Be- oh, is that what that Amanda? Okay. Amanda and Ben, Ari, Huff, Kristen, Lily, Mark, Marna, and Natalia?
2: Is that healthcare?
5: Healthcare access and disparities. Yep.
3: Cool. I'm going to report back for that. Um, so um, we uh, started by um, offering free healthcare for everybody, universal healthcare as a, a starting point. Um, the very least um, good start. <laughs> and um, and then um, in the current context um, there's a framing of um, black and brown people receiving the blame for uh, COVID and um, was actually flipping that around um, to name white supremacy and patriarchy as the risk factors um, and not um, skin color um, We talked about uh, bringing cultural competence training into the healthcare system, so into individual hospitals, medical practices, um, and um, also talked about basically rethinking the entire system of medical training, the extraordinary costs and barriers to entry, particularly for people of color, um, and and making it uh, more accessible Um, to people of color to become medical professionals. Um, We tied that into uh, believing black people um, when they uh, experience pain in their bodies. Um, There was a reference of Serena Williams um, going into the, um, to see her doctor and having pain and not being believed. Um, So that was talked about in the context of the medical system and also just um, in general, believe leave black people. Um, we talked about um, birth and maternal r- death rates being uh, dif- disproportionate for women of color and uh, the importance of doulas and uh, the role that uh, doulas can play um, in uh, shifting that and supporting uh, black and brown uh, doula collectives Um, as well. Um, And getting to the end here, we talked about um, everybody, white people having conversations in particular with white medical professionals, um, both that we know personally and also that uh, when we pass through the medical system, um, going through the medical system with that um, awareness Um, and action, and then uh, culminated with uh, redistributing resources to organizations that uh, perform uh, cultural competency trainings um, in the healthcare system, such as organizations like Bridge.
2: Mm -hmm. Your last two actually were the things I was going to ask about. It's like, where are you divesting and then where are you investing your money uh, around those places that actually do the people like to say the, the cultural competency training I was like, we need you to be more than competent. We need to be culturally like cultural humility. Um, so there's cultural humility training and there's what that, that actually were the things I was going to ask about It's like where are you divesting? And then where are you investing your money? At, around those. Places. Okay. <laughs> this is coming. At, do y'all do hear you, that on top of, okay. Got rid of that. Um, it started playing again on Facebook. Um, so, I appreciate y'all, y'all bringing that in there. It's like, okay, the, the piece around speaking to the people in your, in your networks, in your circles, in your spheres who are doctors, who are nurses, who are healthcare workers and, and starting those, those conversations that Ian spoke to as well, right? Um, because black and brown people, specifically black and, black and brown women, um, are at a much higher rate of not being believed. Our pain, like having to prove that we are in pain, having to prove that we are worthy of someone to take our pain seriously. Um, is but believe us when when we say you know when we say that Uh, the universal healthcare piece I'm completely on board my question for you all and for everyone would be so with the universal healthcare piece, we have elections coming soon this year and next year. What does that mean from a lobbying perspective? What does that mean from an organizing perspective? What does that leave from mean from, an, you know, electoral, like who's getting into office? Who can we talk to? Who can we rally with to make sure this becomes something that's in the conversation? Um, as our elected officials will be talking about, you know, the, the different items that they feel are important to their community. So how do we lobby as a group to make that happen? And then the Black... Um, Black and brown people receiving the blame, putting the onus, again, back on people who are harmed. It's you blaming the victims um, or the people who are harmed when it really is patriarchy and systemic racism. That's narrative change. I think we talked about that in one of the earlier labs. And so when you see that, call it out, both in the media, contact the media station. I was like, so that's what we're not going to do. We're not going to blame these people for X. Um, And you can always go in on your own platforms. We have so many uh technology platforms at this point where you can say so let me let me correct that let me fix that actually what this means is this actually the narrative around this is this or create a space and move out the way for people who experience it to share their own stories and experiences um thank y'all so much for that one i appreciate it uh group four five next group (laughs) i don't know what the numbers are anymore Uh oh, Gwendolyn, I you're think on. A group with food security. That's food, uh-huh. right? Yeah, I think it's wait, food. Wait, wait, food think, security.
5: Nope, I think we're at education.
2: Okay, so education. education, and then we'll go to food security.
5: Arlene, Hannah, Jeff, Joyce, Kate, Nico, Rachel, Rachel, and Tamara.
2: Food security is ready. They're like, "We'll go." I know. <laughs> we're ready. Thank
5: you. I appreciate this. <laughs> I
2: okay, was- so education.
13: So uh, I'm i giving the notes back. Um. We started with a conversation about um, making uh, college uh, entrance exams like the SAT and the ACT uh, test getting pressuring colleges to be test optional, if not to outright um, not accept tests at all. Um, we discussed the tests as being equity barriers and also as um, tests that were designed within a white framework, uh, and so our From the very beginning um, racist Um, and we talked in terms of how we could actually do that uh, within the school systems for students to actually reach out to their college administrations and um, put pressure on them as well as to um, as well as for all of us to um, put pressure on the College Board to adopt those measures. Um, We talked a little bit about how because of COVID, um, more parents have been homeschooling and they've had a chance to really see some of the materials that their kids are um, learning from uh, in school. And that um, while the, you know, there are sort of important individuals highlighted, it's, there's a sort of, um, there's not, uh, concepts such as racism are not really being taught to young kids at, um, and, so there was the feeling that um, we, we felt that if these concepts were introduced at a young age, um, it would become, you know, that much more. that would become easier as a sort of society for us to discuss them, but also for um, for kids to. I'm sorry, what was it? And locate
0: regular life.
13: Right.
2: Um. Wait, I didn't hear that part.
0: And, and locate. So if uh, children would be able to see it and sort of identify it for themselves. Um, In their,
13: in their communities. Yeah. Um, We um, also talked about, um, about people going to their school boards and actually trying to uh, really put questions to school boards like the TRJ questions that I think I think it was last year, I'm sorry, I was taking notes so fast I couldn't.
2: Oh, you're doing great, you're good. <laughs> uh,
13: but anyway, uh, to sort of replicate that and um, and also to try to arrange meetings between bridge and the individual school boards to try to get some of this community change, um, sorry, curriculum change into the discussion. Um, and that, um, oh, then we talked, I'm sorry. Um, oh, we talked about um, the importance of having curriculums in the school that actually address everybody's history, not just white history. And, um, and that uh, we need to start looking for the silences in textbooks and lectures and, um, and classrooms and, and go there and see why, why we're being silent and, uh, and start speaking up. I'm sorry
2: to you off, but Just we're gonna on.
13: dance with oh, Sorry.
2: Oh, okay. I was like, "Why is everyone <laughs> dancing?" <laughs> uh, okay. So are we done? I forgot the room. Like, why is everybody dancing right now? Okay. And I was Like, is there a song that I miss? Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Education Group. Um, these are really good. These also, I think, play into the, or in addition to the healthcare group. Like, how can we get these into the conversations? How can we hold our elected officials accountable? because they are servant leaders to us, right? I love that y'all brought up the piece around discussing racism with children early. Um, there is no such thing as colorblindness. We all see it. It is a real thing. Please stop using that word if it's a word you have been using. Do not use it anymore. But just let it, put it away. Ari, right, she doesn't We had a list.
5: Ari, right, we just- if we have a
2: list, get rid of the word. <laughs> um, children see like children are not born to hate. Children see all the different things, right? They, they see color, they see differences, they see it between all the different aspects of who we are. And so what often happens, particularly with white people, and it's like, oh, that's a black, it's like, shh, don't say that. And the little kids are like, okay, so I can't say something that I identified. And so then it becomes taboo. And then they're like, well, this must be bad because I can't talk about it. So I can't identify something that I notice in another person. And so you inadvertently start creating this, this shame or this, this, divide of, we don't talk about X. As whites, we don't talk about race, because that's impolite. And politeness is a form of supremacy. It's like, we're gonna be polite, and we're gonna do this, and we're gonna do, like. So ultimately, we are playing into it when you think you are being helpful, that's an intent versus impact situation, right? You think you are trying not to come across as a bad person, but you are ultimately training this child to think, I can't say these words. And it's not that they don't still think them, they're gonna just think them and they won't say them. And what we don't want is children to start forming and, you know, forming for themselves what race should and shouldn't be based on what they've been shamed or told they can and can't say. That's a great opportunity to educate them, right? Um, so thank you for bringing um, all those pieces, specifically that one, into, into the conversation because black and brown children at an early age are very aware of race. That is, that is one of the, the, and it doesn't take away a child's innocence to talk about it. It takes away ours with the way we have to live it and where we have to protect ourselves in it but you can discuss it in a way that's going to help create a little accomplice um, to help dismantle all the things that need to be dismantled. So thank y'all for bringing all of those in and thank you for going a little bit deeper into uh, how you engage with your children early on, um, education on all levels. I assume the next group is food? Yes, there are. Access. There are good access, 90
5: seconds. <laughs> yeah. Yes, all I right,
2: have. food access. So
11: we, um, we're actually running the gamut with food access and making sure that quality food is accessible to everybody and not just, you know, for those that can afford it or can just drive to a certain spot. And we are looking at some areas where there are some really good examples, but it really needs to be more wide scale. And we talked about places like Backyard Bounty, which actually comes to people's yards and picks up the excess and then right down the street from me on valentine there's this amazing church that has people working on the land and they have so much food that they grow and it goes to the christian center and the food pantries and it's distributed and people work together side by side and cultivate the land we also talked about getting involved in groups like roots rising where it's getting the youth together and getting them into healthy food and working the land and learning about it and bringing it back to the families. We talked about at some of these um, like farmers markets, having tables just set up, or if you need something, take it. We were talking about getting away from stigma when a lot of times you have to go to pantries and everything and you're you're signing your life away and they're taking headcounts and everything. Just being able to come in Get what you need, and if you have access, put out what you don't need. So it's very collaborative, very community-oriented to just share, get the access out. The other thing we discussed is getting to the people in Berkshire County transportation is a huge issue. So how do you get quality food, good food? I and mean, we have a lot of markets and farms here to people that need it in our food desert. So places like the Dream Center that has a mobile unit to get around. We need more places like that to get quality food to where people are and give them the access to have better health and teach their children about better health and that's something everybody deserves. So we talked about that. We talked about how during COVID there's a lot of people donating to schools and giving um, probably even better food that they might have been getting even in the school at the time because it it could be a lot healthier it is coming from your farms and gardens so we ran the gamut on that we talked about co-ops and getting more access to the co-ops making sure that there are any barriers getting into the co-ops giving out maybe um, gift cards to get people started in the co-op because co-ops even deliver to different places when you are part of it so everybody doesn't have to drive to it but really sharing all of the Berkshire bounty that we have growing here, even though it's a short period of time, get it into the hands that those that need it. So that was a huge, huge focus and a lot of collaboration and be welcoming and respectful and just get more people involved. That was our focus.
2: Thank you, thank you. Um, You all actually spoke to the thing I was gonna bring up, how do you get the food to the people? Because everyone Mm -hmm. doesn't have access, so. Mm Thank you for bringing that into or acknowledging that as being one of the issues. Um, A couple of thoughts for me was like, how do you move the farmers markets into those spaces? So how do you, the people that have the ability to move the farmers market from place to place, how do they go into these places where there are food deserts, right? And that's still Mm -hmm. a temporary solution. The long-term solution is, build a grocery store in the food deserts right and so then that because that goes back to some of our other lobbying that we have to do some from some of the the other groups right um i would encourage you all to look at the um action lab that we did on sustainable living there were a couple of folks who were talking about what sustainable looks like in berkshire specifically and so i would encourage you all to go back and and watch that video as well but thank you all for yeah, y'all were, y'all were spot on with these. And the biggest piece is just how do you get, so it's both like you can't, a lot of times people talk about building the boat to change something, but you have to focus on both building the boat and the people who are possibly drowning in the water in real yeah. time, right? And so as we are building this boat and we're gonna create a new or build a new um, uh, grocery store in this area and do all mm-hmm. these things, what are you doing tomorrow morning when someone needs fresh food? How are we getting, how are we partnering with the co ops and the farmers markets? to where they are now committing to 30 to 40% of whatever they do in terms of their services goes directly to these communities where there may be a food desert, right? So start figuring out what some of those partnerships and leveraging those relationships can look like and holding people accountable to that consistently. Um, Thank you all. Thank you all so much. There was, someone said some stuff through Facebook, but it's in the chat. Thank you, Facebook people who added what you added. Um, Was there another group? There's two more. Two more groups. And
5: then there was a second round that I'm gonna ask the people that your topic already went to please use the chat just because of time. So if you had the doubled up policing, housing, healthcare, um, I think those are the ones that were doubled up, please add any points that weren't made by the other groups, start using the chat for them. Because this chat becomes an artifact for the notes for this lab. So it's not lost, even if you may not have airtime tonight. So please put any thoughts that weren't covered by the previous group with your topic? Because we have two more to get through now, employment and pay equity, and then we're going to be wrapping up. So if okay. your topic was already taken, use the chat. Um, so right now we're up to healthcare. Or do we already do healthcare?
2: No, we're employment. Um, employment? employment. Yes, okay.
14: Okay, we had, um, we had Kelly Galvin, who was gonna um, give us our notes, but she had to leave, so she sent them to me. And please bear with me because as people put their stuff in the chat, I only have these notes in the chat, sorry. Okay, employment and pay equity, appropriate professional development um, for organizations and human resources when it comes to hiring practices, um, particularly dismantling white ideas of professionalism, i.e. how people dress, speak, have their resumes formatted, et cetera. Um, making sure all communities have access slash information about applying for jobs, networking, um, and shifting. Sorry. uh Shifting the idea of networking to include a strong sense of love, um, creating connections and relationships. Um, Amy Taylor mentioned soft skills. um, And then, like, we had Kelly made question of, like, who does that include? Who does that open a path for? um, And who does it exclude? Um, We also have, like, like sharing salary information and being extremely transparent. with that information uh, and giving everybody in the organization more of a say in how the organization is run, making sure your team is a team and you guys are working cohesively. I am complete. If anyone from my that was, nice. I even- <laughs> that was,
2: that was thorough and quick, thank you. <laughs> no thank, thank you for that. Yes, yes to all those things. Um, the big one that popped up was white ideals of professionalism, um, and what that means, and then um. I would only, the only thing I would add to that is, does your business or organization reflect your customers and or the communities you serve? And that also means, does your board reflect that, right? Do the people who are making the decisions reflect the people you are serving or the consumers you are taking the money from? Um, So that would be the two pieces I I add into that one. And y'all can add the others in the chat. That was very concise on Thank you. What is the last
5: one? The last one that isn't a duplicate is whiteness.
2: Okay,
15: this is Erica from MCLA and Chris from MASS MoCA and we are speaking for whiteness and please group type in the chat if I'm missing anything. We began with going over this idea of whiteness and understanding that if the meaning of whiteness is to divide and dominate, then crashing the pillar would be unite and cooperate. Um, We echoed a lot of the thoughts about how we give up this addiction to violence. And then the conversation went to being able to recognize whiteness if we're so inundated in it. And so then we went over the characteristics of supremacy culture, white supremacy culture and how they show up in our organizations. Um, and so we talked about the idea of perfectionism and how we need to develop this culture of appreciation, being able to define, recognize, notice and implement those antidotes, Knowing that we need to get over this sense of urgency because these things take time we need realistic organized work plans just defensiveness um and how can we um understand the link between defensiveness and fear quantity over quality and so include the process or quality glows in your planet tanya i'm living for you right now <laughs> <laughs> understanding worship of the written word and how that there are many ways to get to the same goal and i'm going to echo believe black women black people black folk black Believe <laughs> or this idea of paternalism, and how we need to make sure that everyone knows and understands what makes decisions in the organizations and understand the level of responsibility and authority um this either or thinking and thank you chris for talking about the duality or the the binaries that you know it's this good or bad either or and so we need to notice when people are using the either or language to come up with other alternatives we need to notice when people are simplifying and speak up and speak louder and speak louder There's also this idea of power hoarding and how we need to really, really emphasize power sharing in the organization, discuss what good leadership looks like and make sure people understand. (laughs) Um, We talked about the fear of open conflict and how people want to be polite and they don't want to offend. And, you know, that we need to be able to handle conflict and distinguish between being polite and raising a hard issue. Uh, We talked about individualism and how we need to really evaluate people based on their ability to get to delegate evaluate people based on their ability to work as part of a team and to accomplish shared goals is this idea that progress is bigger so how can we oh my god make sure not just look at like the the i'm sorry i lost my notes but then i'm going to go to the next one Ob- objectivity there's again this right to comfort be uncomfortable, please speak louder. I'm shaking right now, I'm the introvert and Veronica challenged me to speak again, thank you. <laughs> and and so, I mean, like we really are, I'm one of five in an all white family. And so I embody these characteristics as well, even though I am an Afro Latina, first generation immigrant. So being able to recognize white supremacy in our day to day, in our cultures and knowing the antidotes to resolve them. Whew, I am complete.
10: Woo! That
5: was-
4: Ah, Go, Erica. That's awesome. Thank you. I'm not
2: sure what I'm Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I'm complete. Yes. That's all I have. Yes. Yes. And yes. And yes. And yes. And yes. Um, I will add nothing to that. Yes. <laughs> Whew. okay. Um, Oh, these notes are going to be interesting. Here's what I will say. For all of the things we have shared, thank you for the other group. For, thank you, Erica. Y'all, Erica has been, she is very much of an introvert, and her being in this first one to now, it's, it's a whole, this is stretching. This is doing the work. This is going against the wind tunnel. You're actually watching it happen in real time. So kudos to you, Erica. I see you. I see it. Keep doing it. But kudos um, to you for bringing me out. Thank you. Well, thank you. Um, if y'all look in the other uh, the the other two group, other three groups that doubled up, they had some amazing additions that they added um, in the chat. And so please we'll make sure we cover and we add all of those. I will give the disclaimer, and I think this is a great way to end, especially since whiteness was the last one, and then I'll turn it over to Gwendolyn. Here's what does not need to happen. All the information that you all heard today, I'm speaking to the white people specifically. Do not go out and attempt to do this well-intentioned and come across as a white savior listen to the information, take all the information in, figure out where you need to do the work on yourself, figure out what people of color are in your life that can not teach you, cause that's what Google is for, <laughs> but that can literally be in the spaces where they need to be in in power in order to make these changes that we've now identified. But this does not mean go out, put on a cape and start saving the whole, whole world and changing things. That's a white savior complex, that's perfectionism and that's actually more of the same in terms of white supremacy. So what decentering whiteness means taking everything you have heard today and figuring out how to be helpful behind the scenes. Figure out how to put someone else in front of you, figure out how to do the work on yourself and your communities so we can take down these pillars. That's what it means. Of, at first, it means asking questions of you, turning to curiosity around that, and then figuring out how you can partner with other people. Black and brown people specifically who are already doing this work, because I promise you we've already had to have these conversations. So that will be the caveat I put into everything you have learned tonight. Take it, soak it up, learn from it. We don't need saviors. We need people on the side of us. So with that, I will switch back over to Gwendolyn to close it out. Thank you all for your time. Thank you for your honesty. I look forward to what's gonna happen next in Berkshire. And abroad, and all of Facebook, and all the places y'all may be. Online.
5: All right. So, thank you, Ashanti. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for just jumping in and being a part of our community and pushing us and probing us and listening deeply. I, I can't say enough about how deeply grateful I am for this partnership and for you joining us. And we're not letting you go. So you're a Berkshire right now. So you've got that right. Now. You're with us.
2: Yeah. For dinner. <laughs>
5: Lots of dinners coming your way. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so I just want to thank you all for being here. I think this was powerful. I appreciate everybody on Facebook Live's patience, but I believe that that expanded our conversation. We're on our three Facebook platforms, and people have been engaging and talking, and I've been talking with them. So I want to thank I want to thank everybody for being here in community and pushing and probing and being courageous. We have to live in our courageous authenticity. There's no. We have no other time, we're in the middle of a pandemic, our country is deciding who we're gonna be next and we're all a part of that story. So get up and activate. I have been focusing a lot this last week with all of the requests and demands and offers and invitations. Like what is it that I wanna say? And I just wanna say these five A's that i have been focusing on, amplify. Amplify the work that needs to be amplified. Align yourself with the people doing the work, right? Acknowledge the people that have been doing the work that are carrying the labor that have been nourishing you and making you Feel comfortable now. It's your time to get uncomfortable and push so acknowledge that work and activate yourselves to mobilize And speak up all today. There was so many we all have the answers. It's just time to do it right so that activate is really important And don't forget to start with asking questions and a lot of people have been asking us, what do you need? What do you want? And don't get your feelings hurt if your black friends, colleagues, peers, black led organizations don't have that answer. And please don't put it back on us to do the work to find the answer. You, The white led institutions, the white people in this group, you have the resources, you actually have the brain space and the privilege of more emotional safety to do some of that work. So come with very specific offers to us. And don't get your feelings hurt when we don't answer right away. So amplify, align, acknowledge, ask and activate. And that's what I'm gonna leave you all with for tonight. I want you all, because there's so many of you, to write into the chat the one word, you know, my one word. Write the one word that you're leaving with this evening. And Ashanti's got another word as our moderator.
2: Yes. Um. Just really quick, can everyone please come off mute for one moment, please? Everyone, take your take. Come off mute. Come off mute. Come off mute. Oh. Everyone off mute. Everyone off mute. Everyone off mute. What were you gonna say? Everyone off mute. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to This woman. In the midst yes. of a pandemic, in the midst of everything that's happening, that is where America is showing us their racism, showing who they are, Woo! showing how they don't believe black women, showing how they feel about black and brown women, people, Yay. this woman has put together something in Yes.
14: Yes.
2: Living in a pandemic. She has held the shifts that all of us have had to hold. And on top of that, she has given us a gift. In the midst of yes. her pain, she has given us a gift. So we're gonna take
1: yes. minute,
2: ten seconds and as loud as we can, clap, <laughs> scream, celebrate this Yay.
5: week.
10: And now we are complete. You. Now we are complete.
5: Thank you. <laughs> thank you all. Thank you for being here. Spread the love. Spread my apologies for Zoom not cooperating with us tonight. But please thank you all for being here. And- <laughs>
9: Thank
11: you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. so much for everything. You
5: you. Put your one thank word you. in the chat. Don't, that's you. your ticket out. Yes. Put your, yes, put your <laughs> one word in the
2: chat. We added some
5: notes. <laughs> thank um, you. Thank um, you. Thank put you, you. What, <laughs> you. I have to <laughs> word <you can> <laughs> find <laughs> out. <laughs> thank write your <laughs> <laughs>
4: I love, all better. I
5: love all that energy. Thank you for, <laughs> goodbye, for being with us. Thank you. Why do you need you. to copy the whole thing? By. Well, there's some links. They're going to end it soon. You better hurry. Yeah, put it in. We'll send you notes. There will be notes coming to this entire list. Don't worry. Don't worry.
2: One moment. Thank you all.
5: Somebody write itch. Is that itch? Oh, I like that. I didn't see the word. <laughs> I, can ask you. I missed the chat. Pitch. Part. Oh, pitch, Haha. Ha. Donate to Bridge. Support Bridge. Go to our website. Contact us. We have Patreons for the Pathway Talks. That by mission, we wanted to be accessible to all, so they're on our yes. website. The JV set up Patreons. Thank you, JV. Please donate and contribute. Thank you. If you follow me on loved. Instagram,
15: the link to donate to Bridge is there. So go.
9: Yes. And Thank get involved.
5: Do get what loved. Erica said.
9: I told Gwendolyn, I want to be on the board.
5: Hey. Uh, uh, got it. I Maybe.
9: said that. Be on the board.
5: You got it. Christopher McDonald Dennis.
8: Yes.
7: Doctor. I love it. Y'all don't want to leave. Y'all just want to
8: <laughs> I'm just like, oh. I'm hey, slowly man. waving to y'all. But there's... I'm like, oh.
14: She was like,
2: also, we love y'all and. <laughs> hey, everyone. Nice, nice work. Bye.
14: Bye. Bye.
5: Bye
14: Good night.
2: Appreciate it.